Good day to everybody. I am uh, Nicolas Bornodis, President of CapitalLink, and I would like to welcome you today to our webinar on the container uh, shipping sector. Uh, as you know, CapitalLink is hosting from time to time, uh, actually with a regular frequency, uh, a series of webinars on critical topics on the industry. And uh, we are frankly very happy today to have a top level panel on one of the most uh, interesting and vibrant sectors in the shipping industry, uh, the container market. I would like to thank uh, Chris Weatherby uh, from uh, City, who is uh, going to be our moderator. And of course, I'd like to thank Constantine Bach from MPC Containers, Iris Tidis Peters from Eurosea, Jerry Calogerado from Capital Product Partners, and Irakis Prokobaitis from Danaos. We have a great uh, participation already from uh, delegates all over the world. Uh, before I go, I would like to remind you that we look forward to having everybody with us again on March 2nd and 3rd, when we're hosting our annual spring shipping conference in partnership with City. And Chris Weatherby, of course, is one of the main people who are helping with the heavy uh, lifting for that event. So Chris and everybody, thank you for joining us. Great. Uh, thanks, Nicholas, for hosting. Uh, as always, these are great opportunities for us to get and uh, get together and chat about the about the markets. And yes, we are also looking forward to the March conference. Um, you know, for those of you on the investment side, certainly if you're interested in one on one meetings, um, you know, let us know. We're, we're hosting quite a few, and I think it's going to be a great opportunity to get in front of some very interesting people and talk about shipping, which is what we want to do this morning. So uh, at least in, in uh, morning in, in New York, which is where I am. So um, again, thanks for all the panelists joining. You know, I really kind of want to just jump right in. The, the, it's clear that this market is enjoying some strength right now. Um, and we've probably seen rates continue to rise, you know, pretty consistently over the source over the course of the last week, which is either a good thing or a bad thing for the panelists, depending on when you fixed your charters, which was just noted by by Aristides. Um, so, so let's kind of just jump into the, the current events. I think that'll be a very interesting way to start and sort of see what's going on. We hear a lot about blank sailings right now. The Trans-Pacific in particular seems to be quite robust in terms of the demand there. I heard the other day that there are 30 plus ships sitting off the coast of uh, Los Angeles, Long Beach, waiting to unload cargo. Congestion is starting to build. So maybe we can talk a little bit about maybe sort of from a macro perspective, what you guys are seeing in the market on the container shipping side. So uh, wh why don't I start with, with Constantine? So maybe I'll throw it to you. What's sort of the pace of the market? Why are things so strong right now? Well, first of all, we have obviously uh, a combination of volume backlog and a bit of, of catch up, which is still happening as we, as we speak, uh, paired with um, congestion and equipment shortages. And, and in addition, and I think that is, um, at least something that we expect that the Chinese New Year this year will, will take a bit of a different shape and form. Um, and, and it will, uh, at least as far as I'm, I'm aware, and, and, and I believe it will be less um, inactivity in terms of production and, and, and manufacturing of, of goods. So that will actually add to the currently still pretty uh, strong order backlog in terms of volume. So we expect that there will be a few blank sailings, in particular on some of the, uh, let's say, uh, main, main lane trades, I think to a less extent on, on smaller vessels. So overall, we believe, and we're now entering the, uh, the busiest season, uh, the spring season, basically in container shipping. So that will add some, um, uh, some dynamics. 
Uh, but that's at least how we see uh, uh, the volumes at present, which will also affect the charter market, obviously. Got it. That that's helpful. Aristides, what are you um, you know what are you hearing about how Chinese New Year is going to play out? From what we're hearing here in the U.S., there's a sense that certainly from a Transpac perspective, we're going to see vessel sailings down relative to what we where we were before, but really still actually quite robust as there's a desire to continue to ship through the holiday in order to try to alleviate some congestion. So, what are you hearing about the next several weeks as you think about the container market? Yes, uh, historically, uh, the Chinese New Year is uh, about a month, which is very slow. And, uh, but, but this starts even a month before that, we, start, we start seeing signs that things are starting to slow down. Now we're, we're in the Chinese New Year and the market is still picking up. So I think there will be lesser shipments out of China for the next couple of, of weeks. We hear that they will uh, keep working uh, more than other years and protract somehow uh, the, the duration of this, but there will be activity. So, we, but, but, you know, even with less activity, which we think there will be, we, we will still continue to see uh, the market uh, full. We have, you, you said 30 ships in uh, LA. I read today, today it was 40 ships waiting in LA. So the numbers are growing. The blank sailings are there, not because the liners are trying to be smart and uh, take capacity out so that they increase the freight rates. They are there, they are blanking because they don't have the capacity to, to do more, to, to lift more cargo. So overall, I think that while we, we might see a st stabilization during February, I don't expect to see a drop. And, and, and even this stabilization is a little bit uh, questionable because every day is higher. Uh, it, it certainly seems that way. And so Jerry, what, what's your take? I mean, demand has obviously been quite robust from developed economies around the world and particularly coming out of the United States, savings rates are very elevated. So when you think about the macro dynamics, you know, are you surprised by the resilience of the consumer coming through COVID? There's obviously been a lot of stimulus. There's discussion of stimulus to come. So what's your outlook for the overall demand dynamic for, uh, for container shipping as you move kind of through Chinese New Year and then maybe into sort of the second quarter and potentially beyond? I think Jerry, you might Sorry. be on mute. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's got it. So, um, Chris, if uh, if you asked, I think um, any market participant uh, back in uh, May June, um, it was a very it was very dire predictions. Uh, you would, I think, at the time, um, analysts were expecting the market to contract by eleven percent. Uh, almost now, this projection has been revised uh, to minus one percent. So. Uh, a huge uh, recovery in, in demand. Um, I think what uh, many of us uh, did not foresee, and that includes, I think, not just ship owners, but also liners and, and, every, um, and every analyst out there, was how um, COVID would impact consumer behavior. The fact that we are not uh, consuming uh, experiences anymore, so we don't spend money on traveling restaurants and whatnot, means that there is pent-up demand for um, um, 
for ordering products that have to be shipped uh, across the globe. So that, uh, together with what uh, you, I see this uh, uh, mentioned before, the fact um, that uh, you have uh, a port congestion um, and in almost uh, every major port in, in, in the world has created uh, a very different dynamic. If you add to that the restocking or if you want the, um, the um, more inventory building in view of uh, the demand going forward, we have very strong, uh, a very strong market. I mean, I was, I was just reading that uh, two weeks ago, 700 dog workers in California tested positive um, in, uh, for COVID and 1,800 dog workers had to be quarantined because of contact tracing and whatnot uh, and were not serving ships. So as long as we have this kind of environment, and it seems that this is going to drag out, you know, vaccinations uh, is, is a little slower than we thought. Uh, there's the issues of uh, new strains of COVID. Uh, quarantine um, is uh, it's becoming, quarantine rules are becoming much stricter. I think we are in for a good, uh, good market. So supply restricted at the same time, increased demand. So it, it looks, it looks uh, pretty bright at this point. Got it. Heraklis, let's get you in, into this conversation as well. When you th think about sort of inventory levels, um, you know, looking again through the macro lens, um, it would appear that they're, you know, they're fairly depleted. So, you know, what's your take on, you know, inventory levels? What are you hearing from your liner partners about the demand for your vessels as you move forward into second quarter and potentially, you know, the second half of the year? Look, I don't really know. <clears throat> What is the the inventory situation uh, with the uh, retailers? Um, but um, we are facing a very typical situation of uh, of supply and demand uh, case here. And um, uh, after June, uh, it is very obvious that uh, uh, the demand of finished good. Uh, was tremendous. There are some very nice charts showing a, a, a movement of expenditure from services to retail goods, and that was a very, very strong boost into the uh, uh, transportation. Um, we we uh, uh, have, of course, uh, very limited tonnage uh, in the spot market, um, not uh, in number of vessels, but in number of TUs, because most of our large tonnage is on uh, long-term charters. But we have seen that um, every fixture we do yesterday, there is a better fixture uh, the next day. And uh, it seems that uh, the market is very strong, uh, I don't know what's going to happen when the situation in the consuming nations will uh, be restored gradually back to normal and some of the wealth will be transferred from uh, purchasing to services. But uh, with all indications, we see that the demand will remain very strong for the next couple of years. So. 
uh, we believe that for the next couple of years, we are going to have really a very strong demand in all sizes and a very good charter market together with a very good box rate market. Yep. Okay. That's helpful. Um, I get a lot of questions from investors about blank sailings and how to think about it. So, you know, maybe that's the next question that we should try to tackle. So Constantine, how do we think about blank sailings? It appears that the liner companies are being, you know, or originally being quite rational when demand was softer using blank sailings to manage capacity and keep rates relatively elevated on the box level. As we flash forward to where we are today with demand quite robust and, and capacity constrained and congestion around there, it appears that blank sailings are now coming in as a tool to try to ease some of that congestion. So can you talk a little bit about sort of generally speaking, what you're hearing about blank sailings and then specifically, how does it impact the company that provides capacity into the market, if at all? Sure. I mean, as, as pointed out by some of my, my uh, fellow panelists earlier, I mean, the blank sailings now are not due to, to lack of volumes. Uh, they, they are kind of more structural blank sailings, as you said, um, as a consequence of, of COVID. I mean, there, there are instances where, where simply equipment availability limits the ability um, of liners to, uh, or actually triggers a blank sailing um, um, as such. Um, and the congestions in the US do, do their fair share on uh, on, on that very aspect. Uh, in, in terms of how liners manage it, yes, especially uh, last year in, in March, April, May, blank sailings and, and re-delivering of ships that were actually uh, spot ships and we were pretty much affected by that because we have quite to some extent uh, a spot tonnage. Um, it allowed them to, to kind of use the element of blanking sailings and re-delivering vessels that they don't need, that were on more flexible time charters as a means to, to uh, make sure, you know, at least the freight rates don't go down if uh, already the volumes go down. So I think it is a measure to, to address that. Secondly, um, consolidation and the alliances have helped to, to better steer the um, uh, the service offering and 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 structure blank sailings to assist liners in in addressing some of the, uh, the, the especially the market disruption we have seen a few months back. Uh, going forward, obviously more more vessels are now on longer term charter, so blanking sailings is still an option, but. Um, Redelivering vessels is not that much of an option for for liner companies, because of the fact that that you know not just rates are up, but also the periods have increased significantly, especially on those vessels that are more flexibly used by liner companies, uh, meaning more regional vessels between one and five thousand TU. So I think, yes, uh, there is more discipline. Yes, there is more due to consolidation and alliances, uh, you know, better hand and glove um, uh, working of some of the liners to addressing certain things uh, and going forward, that will always be a mean, uh, but you also have to consider the charter situation and charter in situation of, uh, of vessels. Okay, okay, that, that certainly makes sense. Aristides, what's your take? I mean, is there any impact that you guys see in terms of blank sailings on, on your fleet? Do you think that, um, do you, think, do you think that we can start to see congestion ease to the point where blank sailings are not going to be part of the discussion as we get into, let's say, more the traditional strength of the spring, so April, May, June? Difficult to say. Difficult to say because it, it will depend a lot on demand. Right now, we know that the systems are strained because of the excess demand that we have seen, because the money that was uh, 
poured into the economy, the global economy by central bankers has found a way to the consumer. And as somebody else said, uh, people are spending in manufactured goods that are transported by containers in the vast majority, rather than in holidays and bars and drinking and eating and going out. So the demand has increased. How, and there is obviously the expectation that as we deal with COVID and as uh, we get vaccinated and uh, more immune, that might start changing. Uh, but even if it changes, uh, demand still seems that it, that it will be there. So I don't think it will be very easy to get away uh, and to start again seeing uh, blank sailings triggered by the uh, liner companies in order to keep up box rates. This is not going to happen. One thing that has happened is that we do not have enough ships. I, I, I think this, this is quite clear to serve the current situation. And I think the demand is going to continue being strong. People are saying that it will be even stronger. And the supply we know, at least for the next two years, is constrained. We are now seeing orders for, for 2023, but just keeping to this first couple of years, it seems that new ships will not be coming to the market more than uh, about 10% altogether, which is not that much if you take into account that some scrapping will happen and there will be some slippage and all that stuff for two years. So if demand develops, as people are saying, as, as the specialists are saying, we should be in for a couple of good years. I think this is a consensus at this point. I can say just to, to tell the audience here that uh, what we say is probably consensus. And we, we had the consensus last year when we were doing this seminar uh, and the market was lousy that it would be very bad. And it turned out that because of the stimulus that was provided in the economy and the change in the way that people consumed, the market after four months started going up and the last six months, every day it's higher. <laughs> so, so I caution the audience, but the consensus, the logical consensus, unless we miss something, is that it's going to be a couple of good years. It's funny how consensus can change like that. So I, I agree with you. It's, it's, what's it, it's, the, it's the stuff yeah. that you don't know about that has a tendency to make things shift. Um, yeah. So, Jerry, let's talk about rates. Um, we were talking about before we got the webinar started, and obviously things are, are quite robust. So, so let's sort of start with sort of the short term. Like box rates are good. Short term, obviously, is good. So, so let's talk about sort of how you're thinking about evolving your strategy, if you are at all, to try to take advantage of this. Is it time to start trying to get longer duration? I know Constantine talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, do you want to just sort of stick to shorter term potential opportunities because like we've heard before, you know, every day the charter rates seem to be going up. So if you fix today, you might feel like you're not getting everything you could potentially get tomorrow. So, so what's the strategy here? Because things are robust and they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question, Chris. I, I, I think we did the right thing back in uh, May, June. We had uh, a couple of uh, post-Panamaxes opening up. And um, 
it was pretty clear back then that the risk was on the upside. So we fixed uh, for really uh, the sorters that we, we could and without giving up options. And that has uh, actually worked out quite well. So we fixed uh, for 60 to 90 days, um, at least one ship, and then she opened up again in September. And we had another one, uh, we have another one opening up soon. So it was very easy back then because we knew that it couldn't get much worse. Now, as you say, things uh, get better every day. Um, but uh, as you move at above average historical rates, let's say for um, most of the max, uh, wide beam, 9,000 BD, above 40,000. I think these are the kind of rates uh, that um, you will also try to lock in for longer. Um, right now, there is uh, a bit of a flattening curve with regard to, to rates. I mean, on the one hand, um, uh, many owners want to take advantage of these rates and they are pushing for uh, longer term deals. And these are happening, unlike two, three months ago. Uh, so we have seen three, five year deals uh, for large uh, modern tonnage. And I think we will try to follow that, uh, that philosophy. So. Uh, right now is the time to, to lock in for longer. There is, of course, always the, the risk that tomorrow will be a better day. But where I slightly disagree with Aristides, uh, despite uh, demand, demand is consensus, I, I, I agree with that. But the supply, as I said earlier on, uh, is also artificially restricted because of, of COVID. So I don't think that this will be lifted anytime soon. So it's not a question of three or six months. I think the supply restrictions, congestion, um, which is caused by COVID, uh, will take a while to clear up. But when it does, um, we should have a slightly lower equi equilibrium. This does not mean that we will have a much worse market, but um, it does feel that current rates, freight rates for sure, are unsustainable. Um, you, we are at a place right now where importers are thinking twice uh, about uh, importing outside fixed contracts. You are at a place where uh, importers are looking to load uh, containers in open hats, uh, uh, handies or um, uh, multi-purpose vessels. Um, so I don't think I don't think we are at an equilibrium that is sustainable long term. Uh, so. You know, it might last for a while, but why not uh, fix uh, some of these good rates? You cannot go very wrong if you if you take it uh, over if you look at this over time. Got it. That's helpful. And Arachlis, let's come to you in terms of your strategy around um, you know fixing vessels. Uh, obviously, a strong market. So, so what do you do? Do you stay short? Do you go longer term? How, how do you manage that risk and, and that opportunity? First of all, we have to <clears throat> to define. What do we mean by short term and long term? And um, there is a correlation as far as the period is concerned with the size of the vessels. So it's a different thing to talk about feeders and a different thing to talk about post Panamax or 8,000 EU container vessels. Our basic strategy is always long term. We do not charter or we are trying not to charter before one, uh, less than one year, and we are shooting for two-year charters. And um, uh, this is our views. Of course, 
you have to uh, also uh, uh, comply with the views of the uh, customers, with the liner companies. Uh, the liner companies, they are there to offer two-year charter at a marginal discount to one year for larger vessels, but they are trying to keep one-year charters for smaller vessels. So uh, I don't know if I have, I have answered your, answer, uh, your question, but our view is always looking long rather than short. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful. That, that's very helpful. Appreciate that. So, you know, I, I can't resist. Whenever we talk about consensus thoughts, it always starts to make me feel like it's time to start thinking about the potential opportunities on the other side of the coin or, or maybe the risks here. Um, so, so maybe, Constantine, from, a, from a, just a demand perspective, what if we're sort of in the second half of 2021 and we've made some progress sort of God willing on, on vaccines and, and the virus is sort of less of an issue for us. And all of us have decided it's time, decided it's time to take a vacation. You know, I need to take my family to Disney World or something like that. And, and all of us want to do the same thing. What do you think the real risk is in, in terms of demand? Is that something that we think is a, is a potential issue or is there just too much stimulus out there? Are inventories too low that maybe we see this lasting for a much longer time than, 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 than we think? Well, that's obviously a very good question. And I think forecasting the demand side for the last two years, I mean, everyone has been completely wrong, right? We have always been surprised by, by disruptive events, be it trade war, be it COVID. Um, uh, first of all, disruptive on the negative volume side, now for container shipping, at least uh, as an accelerator for rates. So, so I'm, I'm always a bit cautious in, in providing projections on the demand side. I think Demand side um, might be affected by some of the events that, that you have, you know, put on the table just now. But on the other hand, I personally think, you know, looking at it from a more global perspective, global population will grow. You know, consumption of, of containerized goods will continue to grow. There might be a bend in the curve. But demand always has to be seen in, in, in uh, context of, of supply as well, especially if you look, and, and this is a, let's say, a ship owners panel as such, uh, if you look at the charter rate environment and, and the equilibrium of demand and supply when it comes to, to tonnage. And there, I'm, I'm pretty positive that, especially given the fact that vessels are now being taken out of the market for a prolonged period across sizes, which we haven't seen in 10, 12 years, will mean we will see certainly on the charter market a stabilization, right? The vessels will be simply not available to the market. We have chartered a 1,000 TU ship just now for, for two years, right? This vessel usually would become available to the market every two months. Um, and this is, this is now out. And this is across sizes, across segments that we not just see charter rates higher, but also periods. And I think this is a very important factor when looking at the different dynamics. I, I would think, you know, a slight bend in the curve on, on demand volumes, container volumes, we cannot rule that out. Um, but, but I personally think this in, in the overall context will, will not be a game changer, especially if you look at demand and supply in uh, overall, basically. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, helpful. Aristides, what's your take on, on chartering strategy? I didn't ask you that question. How do you, how do you, how do you guys approach that at Euroseas? Yes. So, so let me let me start by saying something in response to what my uh, other panelists, fellow panelists, said. Um, 
Yeah, I did say that demand is the difficult thing to predict and we rely very much uh, on economists and other, uh, uh, other organizations that, to, to come up with that, uh, that response. But you are right that, uh, uh, firstly, Jerry is right that uh, congestion of course, at some point, will somehow ease, especially for the larger vessels. It did, it, it's not such a main concern for us because we have the smaller vessels that do inter-regional inter trade. And there we have not seen congestion issues. The congestion issues are ma mainly on the bigger vessels that go to the bigger ports and, and the uh, uh, east-west trades. So that is not an issue there. So having said that, um, we, and having ships between 1,500 and 5,000 TEU, uh, which is, let's say, the smaller ships uh, of today, uh, the fact that we are fixing one and two years charters is probably around the longest that one can, can fix. We have been fixing two to six months uh, in the past, and now we are doing one to two years Maybe we'll be able to do three years uh, on some vessels, but mainly one to two years. And this is what we're doing. And because all our ships don't open up together, we're doing this in a staggered basis. And, and hopefully uh, we, we will continue doing that. And I hope that every fixer we do, we will be saying that it was a bad fixer at the end. We should have waited and did the one that was available next week. So. Yes, uh, but, but we will fix it. We will be profitable. All the contain all, all these the panelist companies will be profitable companies. And now we have to see how what we do with all our profits. I think this is the main concern of most of us right now. Got it. Okay, that that's helpful. So let's talk about the the supply side. I think that's an interesting piece of it. So so Jerry. Um, you know, I guess two questions here. Uh, what is your bigger picture about the industry from a supply perspective? Will there be a supply demand coming at some point in response to the rates, meaning more orders coming in? And then specific, specific from a capital perspective, how are you guys managing your fleet? Is there anything you want to do with capacity? So I think looking back, um, how the, the market has reacted to similar uh, Kind of environments in the past. Uh, so far, it has been a very reasonable reaction in terms of uh, new build ordering. We have seen, uh, let's say, the order book move from the historical lows of 8% to 10%. Um, as, uh, as you know, this is uh, a very small increase uh, and still a very reasonable order book, uh, historically speaking. Uh, the majority of these orders were uh, very ultra-large uh, containers ordered by liners. Um, so I think so far the reaction of the industry has been fairly reasonable. Um, I, I'm, I would never want to believe that uh, owners uh, or market pundits um, tend to self-discipline. So there's a reason for that, obviously. Uh, today, there's a lot of more, a lot more uncertainty. Um, there are financial constraints. There are fewer owners and uh, liners than uh, there used to be. I, I think liners, uh, up to a certain extent, have prioritized the debt repayment uh, so far, um, but they are turning increasingly their eyes to, to growth. Uh, and of course, uh, there is the elephant in the room, which is called uh, propulsion. Um, and uh, what will be the 
a dominant technology going forward, uh, if, if any. Um, so as far as we are concerned, and now I'm also including the sponsor of Capital Market and Trading, it has been in the press that we have already ordered SIPs, uh, uh, 15,000 EU containers uh, with high refer capacity. Uh, that's uh, six SIPs uh, at Hyundai Heavy. Um, these are, let's say, particularly um, particularly adapt, adapt for the Latin American trade, but also very uh, energy efficient SIPs uh, in terms of uh, their um, emissions footprint um, per ton mile. They are they can offer a reduction of up to 50% compared to a SIP that was built uh, 10 years ago. Uh, so I think in this environment, given the demand that we see and also the fact that these are um, a very um, competitive SIPs in terms of um, emissions, even if they are not, if they are, if they, even their propulsion is conventional, we proceeded to, to order certain SIPs. And I, I'm sure and that we're hearing that other owners are doing the same. Uh, but so far, I think, given the market the backdrop, uh, it has been very reasonable. And uh, for the reasons that I mentioned before, I don't think we will see a repeat of what we saw uh, many years ago of uh, the order book effectively doubling within uh, a few months or a year. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. I appreciate the color. Heraclis, let's come to you and talk about the same thing. So how do you think about the order book? I do want to get to propulsion in a minute, but you know, just kind of curious about your take and, and Danaus's approach to um, you know, managing the fleet. First of all, uh, speculative ordering into the container industry was not really uh, the theme, and I do not expect to be also in the future. So I do not expect from the charter owners any sort of speculative ordering. Um, then we have the liner companies. The liner companies, uh, we have seen some ordering only from the companies that they were lacking behind tonnage. And they had to go to some ordering for their own survival purposes, like Evergreen and HMM. And therefore, uh, because we have also the technological risk and the emission trading risk uh, in front of us, I do not really see any appetite for ordering. Um, therefore, uh, on the assumption that the demand will remain robust, and uh, if we believe what most of the liner companies they have said about uh, they have enough tonnage already, uh, I do not really see the order book to go uh, uh, close to 20% of the existing fleet or something like this. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. I appreciate that. Um, I guess, coming to you, Constantine, I, I, same question. I think it's a really important one. So I do want to get kind of everybody's take on the order book, because I think that's, you know, in, in th that's where we've, we've had issues in the past. Obviously, demand is going to do what it's going to do. How do you think about ordering? What, what are you guys going to do? Well, first of all, I think we, we actually need orders when I look at the demand and supply situation uh, going forward, right? I, I, I did mention uh, earlier that, that, I mean, the demand with the world population and, and growing and, 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 and you know, the, the overall trend, we will see 
continuous demand growth. I mean, with the exception of 2009 and, and last year, which came in only marginal below zero uh, in, eventually, uh, we will see growth in demands. Um, and, and the order book is, 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 is yes, it has been increasing, but I personally think that, um, you know, if you look at the sizes where you have hardly any orders between one and uh, let's say eight or 10,000 TU, you will see negative uh, supply growth going forward. So, so something has to happen. Um, now, now that's kind of where we stand from an industry perspective. Now, taking a technology risk on propulsion technology that is, that is yet to be determined. I think it's easier on, on the larger vessels to, to opt for dual fuel options, et cetera, these are key assets where, where also the liner companies either use their own balance sheet or are willing to provide longer term charter backing, which is needed um, because the discipline that we have seen uh, on, on capacity management is, is, is also something uh, that, that we now see on the owner side, uh, not ordering speculatively uh, a new vessel. So especially if you don't get a long term charter against a, a new build, which is still a commercially um, uh, challenging question because in the end technology risk residual value risk from an owner perspective is are the key risks that you are currently facing um, if you consider an order so i think we're, we're back to the question of what's the right propulsion are you able to get uh, charter backing um, uh, on, on new builds because i think speculative orders we will see uh, very rarely so so that's also where we stand i mean we're obviously you know looking at the various options in terms of, of propulsion technology and, and, uh, and so forth. But I think there's no clear winner yet. Um, and, um, and that's why I think going forward, there will be new orders, but they are also needed. Um, but it will depend also on the appetite of the liners to either take them on their own book or provide a charter backing for those uh, orders. Okay, that, that's helpful. Um, Aristides, any, any sense of when we will have more clarity on propulsion and what the you know, how far out do we have to, to, to go? And, and before you answer that question, just as a quick note, um, I know we have questions in the Q&A box and we've, I've been reviewing them as we've been going along. We're almost towards the sort of last 10 or 15 minutes of the conversation. I'm going to get to all of those questions. So certainly put them in if you do, um, because I think it's important and I'll make sure to get them out to the, uh, the panelists. But, but Aristides, what's your, what's your take on propulsion? That's a very difficult uh, question, very, very difficult to answer. Uh, the new buildings that we've seen uh, placed uh, today uh, are either uh, dual engines capable of burning LNG or, or uh, traditional engines with scrubbers uh, burning uh, HFO. So these are the two solutions that exist today if somebody places a new order. I think five years down the line we will have had a, a more drastic move, uh, moving uh, away from these uh, emission uh, creating engines because LNG also creates emissions. It's a short-term solution. It's, it's definitely not a long-term solution. And of course, the same goes with the scrubber and the normal heavy fuel oil. So it will change. It frightens a lot of people. And a lot of us are very scared to put in uh, a, new, a new order. Uh, so I, I think the, the players in the market, which have been reduced uh, dramatically because of the significant losses made in almost all sectors over the last decade, 
The last decade was a terrible decade for shipping. It was the exact uh, opposite of the previous decade between 2000 and 2010, which was the fantastic time. And that's why when everybody flooded in, they flooded in, we all together lost a lot of money in this de decade. There are less players. I think somebody else also said it uh, and players that are more uh, in the business. So we are all thinking about what to order. We are not ordering. We have not ordered. That's why 2020, this year and next year are going to be good because even if you order today, deliver will be in 2023, most likely onwards. So, but because we're seeing the very high rates, we have to see ordering because otherwise, you know, we'll see astronomic rates and this never happens, unfortunately. Uh, well, it did uh, back in 2007 to eight, but I would think it won't happen this time. So there will be orders. We will see orders. Coming back just to the containership order book, I just want to, to, to remind everybody the order book in 2008 was 60%. It was 60% order book on contain, uh, on the, of the container fleet. It's been coming down, and now the last uh, two years, it's been around the 10% level, which is reasonable. This also, this 60% order book then explains the 10 bad years followed that because we overbuilt ships. Now we don't have that, and we are hoping for a more reasonable market uh, going forward. I don't know if I answered. Yeah, no, you did. You did, and I appreciate it. I, 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 I think it's a good point. Um, these or the order book is, can be somewhat generational or at least decade length, you know, sort of changes. And and I would agree, covering the market back then, it was unclear exactly. I think everyone was relying on that sort of usual multiplier of GDP in terms of demand to sustain forever in order to be able to soak up that sixty percent, you know, order book and. Well Sorry to interrupt you, but one thing we realized is that, you know, container shipping is now a mature business. It's not a growing business as it was. The multiplier is never going to be 3%, three times or two times. It's always going to be around one, one and a half, 0.7, depending on how the world feels on globalization at any point in time. So very, very good point. And I think that's exactly right, because we were we were relying, I think, very heavily on that multiplier for a long period of time, which I think got a lot of people into a lot of trouble and caused a lot of, you know, sort of long term pain as a result of it. Um, so we have a lot of questions that have come in. So I want to start getting to some of them, particularly there's one here that sort of jived with the next topic I wanted to talk about, which was vessel value. So, you know, maybe, Jerry, let me come to you. Um, Maybe the first question I'd like to ask you from me is sort of how do you think about the the reaction of vessel values to the charter rate environment? You know how strong an improvement can we see in in uh, um, in tonnage in the value of tonnage? And then a question from the audience is what is your policy for marking to market the book value of your vessels? Um, so just wanted to make sure we got that in there for the uh, for the for the person on the line. So can you talk a little bit about vessel values? Uh, sure. So I think um, 2020 was um, a very interesting year, um, especially for certain sizes. Uh, the Panamaxes, I think, is the, is the most interesting segment because um, back in July, uh, especially after the first uh, COVID hit or throughout the summer almost, 
you could pick up uh, a number of uh, 15 year old chips, uh, um, a little younger, a little older at scrap. Um, and uh, by now, uh, their value has uh, probably tripled. Uh, that's why I think where we have seen the lion's share of appreciation, um, as uh, also charter rates uh, have um, increased considerably. I mean, looking also at uh, the feeder segment, uh, which uh, I'm sure Constantine um, uh, is uh, very uh, familiar with, or the post-Panama segment where we are, uh, let's say, more active, we have seen significant appreciation there. Um, but prices never came off, uh, for example, for post Panamaxes as much as uh, they came off for, for Panamaxes. So I think you have to look at different segments and sizes in order to, uh, to tell a story about uh, um, secondhand values, but it's definitely one of uh, appreciation, sometimes multiples, sometimes uh, anywhere between 15 to 30, 40%. Um, and I guess the only uh, ceiling until now, um, especially for the larger ships, uh, were the prices of new builds. Prices of new builds uh, were quite low uh, because, uh, as we all discussed, there was limited interest um, for, this, uh, for these vessels. Now, as we see more interest uh, across um, uh, the, let's say, the post-Panamax range of sizes, um, and uh, new building prices start to appreciate, I think that will also start pushing more modern eco wide beam ships uh, up as uh, new building price, uh, that, that spread um, is uh, now widening. Uh, but all in all, uh, I think it's, uh, it, for, for very obvious reasons, uh, it's an upwards trend. In terms of multiples, however, I would, I would probably say that um, uh, still multiples uh, look quite, uh, quite attractive um, for certain segments. The question is, is it because of lack of uh, capital, lack of financing, or simply expectations that the market will adjust uh, sooner than we expect? I mean, that's uh, yet to be seen. Um, finally, with regard to, uh, to book values, I'm not sure I got the question, but uh, typically we, you know, we obviously uh, maintain book values um, and we do an impairment test that is uh, um, uh, cash flow uh, based. And if there is no reason to impair, we don't uh, decrease our book values, but we don't increase them either. Uh, so irrespective of what uh, the market does in terms of the fair market value. So that's the US gap. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. And obviously any um, adjustments that need to be made on a, on a sale would be, would be taken then, right? Gains or losses at that point would be taken at that point. So that, that certainly uh, makes sense. Okay, that's helpful. Um, I, I want to get through some of these other questions that have come on. This one we, we hit on earlier in the conversation, but it's important because I think from a U.S. investor perspective, there's a lot of questions around congestion and sort of what's going on. So I'm going to wrap a couple of questions into one here. So this question is, when do we think the congestion is going to alleviate? And there's also another question about shortage of containers. And I think they go kind of hand in hand here, right? It's not just the ocean going assets that are congested and maybe sitting off port. Part of the reason they are is because of the boxes that go inland, either on chassis or otherwise, are also getting congested. So um, maybe Arachlis, I'll, I'll throw this your way, but Aristides, I see you shaking your head. So I want to get your take too. So maybe Arachlis, I'll start with you and then go to Aristides. Well, if I, if I can say about our own experience on this with our own fleet, 
on our 63 fleet vessels, we had uh, uh, only three vessels with one week delay in the US uh, West Coast. And um, we had one vessel with a blank sailing. Uh, there is a lot of demand for tonnage uh, to get containers, empty boxes from uh, US and Europe back to Asia. And um, uh, I think that uh, uh, during uh, the Chinese New Year, as uh, uh, time is going by, uh, congestion, congestion may, may ease uh, 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 a bit. Uh, very difficult, very difficult to tell, very difficult to tell. But uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, the more the congestion, the less the ships available, the better for the charter rates. Okay, makes sense. Aristide, do you have a view on this, on, on, the, on, the, on the capacity? Uh, oh, the only thing I wanted to say here is because, uh, as we said, uh, congestion is a matter of the bigger vessels, which we don't have, so we don't actually see it, uh, and it but it's something that is, is there, and I don't know when it will end, but uh, somebody else said that probably the effect will not be that huge when it ends. Uh, but I wanted to say that uh, the issue with uh, the container boxes of having container boxes has been a very significant one, and there is a lack of them. Uh, and and uh, the, the companies that uh, own these boxes and are manufacturing and building these boxes are now working very hard to provide new containers. This is a process that happened once about 10 years ago, I can't remember when, again, where there was a lack of container boxes. This can be solved in, in a, a small period of time, relatively small period of time. I do not expect us to have the, this issue in a year's time. It will have been solved. They manufacture them quite quickly. But obviously, if they are there, they have to be filled, hopefully, and they, we will have to transport them. So that's not a bad thing for us, the fact that they are build, uh, making more container boxes. Okay, that's helpful. That, that's good color, because that is one of the areas where we're seeing that congestion kind of build up. Um, I have another question, Constantine, maybe I'll come to you on this one. And, and this sort of basically, if I can summarize it, is about um, the potential for reversing slow steaming. So for a long period of time, there were extra vessels added to loops because of the deceleration of the, the pace of the fleet, right? So slow steaming essentially. Is there capacity out there, do you think, to potentially speed things up or does congestion kind of negate that? Because why do you want to send, you know, a ship a week to LA Long Beach if that first ship is not clearing within the first three days it's there. So it's sitting there when the next vessel gets there. So any thoughts on sort of where slow steaming is and, and maybe could that be adjusted as a way to add capacity? Well, it, it depends on the trade. And I think on some of the main hold trades, that's, uh, that, that would be an option, but you already gave the answer to some extent in terms of congestions. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And some of the blank sailings <clears throat> out of Asia into, into the SI actually, have actually been blank because people know, well, we, we'll be sitting there anyway, right? Um, so, so I think this is, this is certainly something that, that can happen. On the other side, we all know that 
the faster the ship goes, um, uh, the bigger the, uh, um, let's say, uh, the, ex the, the, the greenhouse gas emissions, for example, right? I mean, I think going forward, we will rather see a trend towards slow steaming in order to, um, to address that very, very um, topic. And um, if you look at uh, EEXI, CII, the new regulations that are currently being being kind of uh, brought into the into the mix um, in all likelihood as of 2023 will in, in my view certainly lead to more slow steaming uh, rather than speeding up on the short term it might be an option but it depends on the trade because for example on some of the trades we operate in um, it's it's a liner service regional trade uh, you have port call almost every day so the speed of your vessel is pretty much predetermined by the structure of the trade um, and as such speeding up or going slower is is not an option because it's part of the overall trade lanes um, so i think maybe on the on the long haul trades that's uh, that's possible um, but again, with the caveat of what I've just said on, on greenhouse gases and, and decarbonization of the industry, but on the, on the more regional trades, which we operate in, um, I don't see that being uh, a trend. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Um, all right. So a couple more here that have come in that we want to make sure we get to. Um, I'm just going to go through an order here. I, I think someone's asking about when the market might come back to business as usual. I think the panel has sort of answered this, generally speaking, that it's a little unclear exactly how this plays out. Expect demand to stay relatively strong. And obviously, we know what's going on with the capacity. So I think that's kind of been answered here. Um, I think the, the other factor that the other question we got here is, um, I guess, maybe a little bit more specifically on smaller ships on the older side. Any Anybody have a particularly, you know, I know, Constantine, you can talk to smaller ships. Um, Aristides, I think, too. A any view, maybe we'll go to Aristides, any view in terms of what you're thinking about sort of the market for the smaller vessels? I think everyone's enjoying this uplift. Anything specific there, quickly? All, all, all the markets, uh, all, all the markets are, are enjoying a good market. Smaller ships as well, uh, and uh, and older ships as well. So uh, if you have an old ship, well maintained, uh, you can trade equally well with with a younger ship, uh, and up till 2015 with very similar greenhouse uh, gas emissions. It's only after 2015, the ships that are built that are a little bit more economical to run. Uh, but running older ships in today's market, which have very little uh, uh, left to, to, to repay, uh, uh, is really a great, uh, uh, a great uh, opportunity and we are making on our elder uh, smaller ships very significant returns at least on a percent, uh, percentage basis. We scrapped five vessels in the, in the first part of the year which were very old. Uh, that's what helped us survive without any problems because we, they were always an option. Now we are capitalizing on that option of having several quite old ships. Okay, that's helpful. Jerry, you got a question on uh, on scrubbers. I, I don't know if you have a take on whether you think scrubbers are profitable at this level. Is there a reason to be thinking about scrubbers? It sort of seems like some of the IMO stuff kind of came and went and got uh, sort of overshadowed by COVID. But what's your take on scrubbers? Well, uh, I do think that for, especially for larger ships, um, like, uh, again, um, anything above... Um, 
Panamax, I would say, but potentially even for Panamax is depending on the spread. Uh, scrubbers do make economic sense. Um, the spread has recently widened um, and uh, increasingly uh, we even have heard uh, anecdotal evidence of uh, people uh, looking at scrubbers again, uh, which uh, is corroborated also by the interest uh, of uh, liners. Um, the issue, of course, that remains is what you mentioned. Uh, what will be um, in the end the IMO policy towards scrubbers? Already many ports are not accepting open loop scrubbers. Uh, so uh, for the moment, it's only, it has only minimal adverse impact on the ships that carry um, uh, scrubbers as uh, their stay in ports uh, is limited. But uh, if this uh, extends to more ports uh, or uh, to, let's say, wider ranges, uh, then can we really use uh, scrubbers in the future? Um, we have uh, also seen interest uh, as of late in hybrid scrubbers, much more than uh, there was a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, if you ask me from a ship owner's perspective, um, it's not a bet that uh, we would take on our own. We never actually took it. We have installed uh, seven scrubbers uh, and all, all of the scrubbers we installed uh, were pre-agreed an, against an agreed rate. So we deployed the capital and we got uh, a return on that uh, capital for um, uh, a specific amount of time. So, and that was in 2018-19. I think given the current environment, uh, we would be even less inclined to, uh, to install a scrubber unless we have a very specific return or it is fully paid uh, by the operator. Okay, okay, that's helpful. Uh, Arakulis, I want to come to you. There's a question about the crew situation. And so I think this is about, um, you know, crew changes and flexibility in the context of sort of the COVID constraints that we have. Um, how do you feel about sort of how crews um, are adapting and, and whether you're able to change them as frequently as you'd like? And if there are any other hardships that are kind of playing out through your, your, your crew situation? It is really a, a very big problem. It is a problem that uh, practically no one looks like Arachlis might be frozen here. Uh, maybe we can. Uh, yeah, looks like he's. Uh, Looks like he's frozen. So, hey, let, 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 why don't I move around a little bit while he's trying to get that connection back up? Um, Constantine, do you want to take this one? Sure. I mean, I'm. Uh, he's 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 back. So oh, are you back, Arachlis? Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Can you can you can you hear now? I can. Yeah. So yeah, we it got cut off at the very beginning of your answer. So if you want to start again, that would be great. Yeah, I was saying that the situation is really bad. We have people on board that they are for seven and eight months. Uh, nobody actually is taking care of it. Uh, one of the big problems is that uh, most of the flag administrations do not really have any influence into the global political environment for the seafarers actually to be taken care of. Um, we have situations where even sick people cannot go out, not sick from coronavirus, but uh, just with normal sort of uh, emergency situations. It's an extremely difficult and tough uh, situation. Most of the shipping bodies are trying to influence the government to do something about it. Uh, 
um, it, it, it's a very big problem. Uh, of course, for uh, companies like us that we have um, long-term loyal pools, we have people standing by and um, anytime that we see a traveling window, we are trying to make uh, changes, but uh, certainly uh, we would expect that uh, the normal period of contracts, which used to be four months, is not uh, there uh, to stay uh, anymore. Uh, it is a difficult situation, very difficult situation. It's a wait and see. Uh, it's a reactionary uh, uh, strategy. You cannot have really any uh, uh, proactive strategy on this problem. Very big problem. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, and it's such a challenge for the folks at sea. So uh, appreciate that color. Um, all right, so we're basically at the end of their, our time. I, I do, there's one interesting question that I do want all of you to answer if you can. And I would ask if you could be brief, kind of 30 seconds or so. Uh, I'll start with Constantine. The, the question is, what do you guys do from a company level with sort of, I don't want to say the windfall, but with the strength in the market? Is this an opportunity to shore up the balance sheet? Do you want to put new orders in? Do you want to pay a higher dividend to your, to your shareholders? What's the strategy? How do you take advantage with the environment we're in? You know, what's sort of the, the strategy going forward from a company standpoint? Um, obviously, first of all, renewing the charters in this environment to, to really lock in these, uh, these earnings. We have quite a spot exposure. We will be done basically with, with our fleet and renewing them in the new environment by, by early May in all likelihood. So we will have all 65 vessels then on, on the new elevated level generating significant cash. We believe uh, uh, there are a few ingredients. Firstly, to uh, delever the company financially. We have such an operational leverage in this rate environment that we would want to uh, delever the company and at the same time become a, a, a dividend stock that uh, has significantly low residual value risk because this is what ship owning is all about. And this rate environment you can really use to, to de-risk your, your residual value risk. And that's what we are going to do in combination with the dividend. Perfect, Aristides. Yes, as I, as I said uh, before, we all have to see what we do with our profits. This is a wonderful problem to have. Uh, finally, it's been 10 years since we had that issue. Uh, one solution is, is what, uh, what Constantine said, deliver, pay dividends. The other solution is grow a little bit. Uh, th there are many things to review. We will review them. We are still at the shock of where the market has moved and none of us had really predicted it would go there. We will review. Perfect. Jerry, how about you? Well, I think uh, we will balance um, a growth strategy, uh, but at the same time, returning capital to unit holders. We just announced uh, a unit repurchase program of 30 million for, for the next couple of years. Um, and at the same time, uh, the unit purchases, we expect to be very accretive because we are trading at a big discount than AD. Um, but at the same time, we concluded uh, an acquisition of three Panamax ships. Um, hopefully there is more to come. Uh, so I think it will be a balance. Balance, it looks pretty good in any case right now. So we're not especially worried about that. Heraclis, you've seen some great stock performance. What do you do? Well, 
having sufficient uh, firepower to move quickly when a second hand opportunity is coming up, like uh, we did uh, three to four months ago with purchasing uh, six uh, post Panamax vessels, uh, delivering, deleveraging, and uh, giving uh, value to our shareholders. It's uh, very clear. Okay. That's, uh, that's very helpful. I think we'll leave it there. That was a great conversation. I think we covered a lot of ground. Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time. Nicholas, thanks for hosting. As always, these are great events. And, and thanks for everybody on the line. I think we had as many as 225, maybe 230 people on the line. So that was great. Thank you. Well, thank you again. It's been a great discussion. Container sector right now is at the forefront of activity and interest. So I'm delighted we were able to host this top-level panel today. Thank you very much. And we will see you all uh, March 2nd and 3rd. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you, Nicholas. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Nicholas. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.